people of God and just to celebrate and to sing and to thank Jesus for what he's done for us and to look forward to what God has prepared for us. It's just a privilege, Sunday after Sunday, on the Lord's day to be together and to worship. I wanna ask you to open your copy of God's word to the book of Acts. I'm gonna start about a 12 week series through the book of Acts. We're gonna encompass about seven chapters over about 12 weeks. For now, I only have an intention to preach these first seven chapters, but who knows, uh, I may end up doing the entire book of Acts. We'll just, uh, we'll just, kinda, uh, we'll just kinda see what happens. But Acts is a great book. Uh, Acts is a record of a history of the, the about, about the first 30 years of the early church. It covers from roughly 30 something AD to about 60 something AD from uh, the point of the ascension of Christ when he ascended into heaven, which we'll read today, and goes all the way through the end of uh, probably about the, uh, the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. We see some incredible stories in this book. Uh, we see the people of God absolutely turn the known world upside down as they go around and as they witness about Jesus and about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, Acts was written by a guy named Luke. Uh, Luke is, is, the only, is the only one that we know for certain was a Gentile as far as the writers of Scripture or the writers of the New Testament. Almost every other writer of the New Testament was a Jew. Uh, Luke was actually, we know for a fact that he was a Gentile. He was not an apostle. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And he wrote in a way, in a very meticulous way, uh, that those of us in the 21st century, we kind of are able to grasp the way that he wrote. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and uh, he wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus was. Uh, some people speculate who he was. But you and I know that the book of Acts is also written to us. It wasn't just written by a guy to a guy. It was written uh, by God to all of us. And it is a book about missions, church planting, and evangelism. Make no mistake, that is what the book is all about. It is about how the apostles and all of the early Christians carried out the mission of God by sharing the gospel evangelistically and by planting churches specifically in strategic areas all over the known world. They did not just stay in their nation. Uh, they traveled all over everywhere. They scattered everywhere so that they could tell the world about Jesus. And not only is this a book about missions, but I think it's, uh, it's worthy of note, especially because this is the title of my sermon series, that it really has, has a lot to do with how the Holy Spirit worked through early Christians, these first Christians, to carry out the mission of God. We're gonna see in these first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 20 times in seven chapters. And in these first seven chapters, we're gonna see a phrase. It's the phrase filled with the Spirit or the phrase Spirit filled. We're gonna see this phrase used six times in these opening seven chapters, even though the references to the Holy Spirit are a lot more than that. And so I've entitled, the, uh, I've entitled this series, uh, A Spirit Filled Life. We're gonna talk about what it means to be Spirit filled. Now, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot of times people fall in one of two extremes. Um, they get way over on one side that just 
focuses on spiritual gifts and, and just some craziness that we won't go into today, or they go all the way to the other side and they only mention the Holy Spirit when it comes to the indwelling. Like, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that's it, end of discussion, let's not even talk about it anymore. And uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hope to broaden your horizons as far as what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit in this, in this series together. Uh, I remember years ago, whenever I was first saved, I walked into a gas station. I was only 18 or 19 years old. I walked into a gas station, and the lady behind the counter, she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, well, yes, I am. How did you know? And she said, because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And inside of me, I was thinking, great, I am too. You know, I got saved and the Holy Spirit lives in me and I have a relationship with the Lord. But then she kind of disappointed me when she looked back at me and she said, you need to come to my church on Sunday so you can speak in tongues and also be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, ah, I don't know if that's really what that term only means. And so uh, I've been studying about this for many years. I hope that you have read in Scripture and studied carefully about uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the person of God living inside of you. He's a real person, a divine person, and in a mysterious way lives and indwells inside of every Christian. And I think he's worthy of our attention, even though he doesn't want a lot of attention. He wants to draw attention to Jesus. We still need to learn about the work of the Spirit in our life. And so in this series, uh, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a Spirit-filled church. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, what, how, how, we, how we recognize Spirit-filled preaching. Uh, we're going to talk about Spirit-filled miracles. I did a series on miracles uh, last year, but uh, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, we're also going to see how uh, when people are spirit-filled, they have a boldness. We're going to look at this, this prayer that the early believers uh, 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 prayed after they were persecuted, and the Bible says they were filled with the Spirit. So we're going to talk about, about spirit-filled prayer. Uh, we're going to look at a group of men that you and I call deacons that were selected based upon whether or not they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a criteria that we still use uh, to this day. And also we're gonna see, and I'm gonna mention them today, uh, we're gonna see uh, how you can even be spirit-filled as you were a martyr for the Lord. So you can see that when I use the term spirit-filled, it's not only to refer to the initial indwelling of the Spirit, it's certainly not to refer only to certain gifts of the Holy Spirit, but um, the work of the Spirit in our life at special times so that, and this is important, so that we can live on mission. And that's the, that's the title of my sermon today. The title of my sermon today is Spirit-Filled Mission. And we're going to see that this, I really hope that you understand this sermon today as kind of, a, kind of an introduction to the whole book of Acts, as we see the people of God filled with the Spirit and carrying out the mission of God on the globe, and they do it in a way that they set an example for us. 
They set an example for us as a church. They set example for us as Christians. They set an example for us as individuals that we too need to be filled with the Spirit and live on mission for God. So uh, we're going to look at the opening, uh, opening verses today in Acts chapter 1. Uh, stand with me if you don't mind as we, read these, uh, or as we read these verses. And I want you to notice the number of times that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit just in these opening verses. Uh, remember I said that the, the Holy Spirit is referred to uh, 20 times or more throughout the, throughout the book of Acts and, and in the opening chapters. Three times in these verses, there's reference to the Holy Spirit, His work, His power, and so let's read it together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. By the way, that first book is the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and now he's writing to Acts. We don't know who Theophilus is. Um, and it says, until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles uh, whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. I'm actually going to come back to these verses on Easter, uh, so stay tuned. There's just some good stuff in these verses. And while, st while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, look at this, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is Jesus speaking about a specific event recorded in Acts chapter 2 that I'm going to be preaching on next week. It's, the Bible says, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? To me, that's a bad question after what Jesus had just promised. More on that in a minute. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Look at this, verse 8, where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Circle that in your Bible if you have a pen. Witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I'm going to read these other verses, even though I'm not going to talk about them. I just like these verses. And then when they said these things, he was looking on. He was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come or will come again, will come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you that you live inside of us. We thank you, Lord, that you indwell us. We thank you, God, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to comfort us, to watch over us, to protect us, and to empower us for mission. Open our eyes today that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Lord, your word is alive and active. God, I pray that we would come alive to it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
the main message that Jesus is saying here, he's, he's saying to his apostles, he's saying, there's going to be, I've got some big work for you, but don't go home yet. I know that a lot of you are from Galilee and you want to go back and maybe start throwing, casting your nets back in the sea or whatever, but don't leave Jerusalem yet. Y'all need to stay together. Don't leave Jerusalem. He says, I need, yeah, I need for you to wait because I'm going to give you something that I promised before. Jesus promised that he would give them the Holy Spirit in, uh, as recorded in the Gospel of John and other places. He, he promised them. In fact, dating all, the, dating all the way back to the ministry of John the Baptist, three years prior, John said, hey, uh, Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so he told them, he said, he said, don't leave Jerusalem. He said, wait for me. Wait until I give you this gift that you must have in order to make it through all of the things uh, that, that lie ahead. And so Jesus promises to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Like I said, uh, I'm going to be preaching on that next week. Um, I'm, we're going to look at that, that passage where cloven tongues of fire landed upon them. And, and then the week after that, how Peter preached this, this great sermon and how all of these people got saved. But for right now, what we want to focus on is Jesus is telling them, he's saying, listen, when that happens, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are going to receive power. I mean, you're going to receive my presence like you have never, ever had it before. Power is, power you can look at it as like a, like a, a controlling influence. But this is not the, kind of, not the kind of power that you and I are usually normally, normally accustomed to thinking about. This was not a worldly power. This was not an earthly power. This was not some type of human power. If you were to scan through the book of Acts, you will see that the apostles did not receive power in the way that you and I understand power. They did not receive some type of great spiritual, you know, spiritual strength or, or, or ability. You know, uh, uh, it's interesting, me and, uh, me, me, and, me and my boys, we've been looking at this old series you may have watched before called Heroes. Uh, and in this series, they all have special powers. You're not one guy that can fly, and you got another person that can heal, and you got another person that can like cut people just by moving his finger. And and they all discover, you know, their different abilities, their different their different powers. You know, the apostles didn't receive any kind of special superhuman power. They weren't turned into the Avengers, where they could they could somehow they could somehow do something humanly speaking that other people can't. That's that's not the kind of power that Jesus was promising them. Uh, they, they didn't even really receive any type of special powers of, of persuasion. The apostle Paul admitted in in, in Second Corinthians, uh, he said, I, "I'm not even a skilled speaker." Um, they didn't receive any type of, you know, even, even any type of intellectual power. They certainly didn't receive any type of position of power as if somehow as human beings they were greater or had a, had a more of a, of a position and had some type of human earthly power that everybody else didn't have. That was not the type of power that Jesus promised. That is not the type of power that we see them carrying out through acts. This is more of a, of a spiritual power 
more of a sustaining power, more of an empowerment to do for what God has accomplished them to do. I mean, think about some of the things, if you've read the book of Acts, some of the things that happen in the book of Acts. You have Christians and apostles that stand up and they do like open air preaching. You have churches that are planted all over the known world as, as, as the apostle Paul and other Christians travel to different places. You have people that receive the gospel with just weeping and just joy and, and have lives that are radically transformed. And then you have other people that hear the gospel and start riots out of anger and try to kill people. And we see the apostles arrested, arrested and some of them killed. We see Christians killed and persecuted. And we see Jesus speaking to a guy from heaven as he's walking down a road and he gets radically saved. We see prisons shaken, we see demons cast out, people healed. We see Christians uh, witnessing before governors and officials in high positions. We see all sorts of things. And I can't imagine being one of these apostles, they didn't know what lied ahead, even though Jesus kind of gave them a hint. I can't imagine having to face all of that and not having some type of sustaining power in my life in order to make it through all of that or somehow thinking that I'm gonna accomplish anything for God unless his power shows up and does something that I personally cannot do. You see, how do they make it through all of that? Jesus gave them his power and he desires to do the same for us. As we seek to live for God and do the things that God has called us to do, he wants to give us that power. And it's not, a, and here's, it's, it's a mystery. It, it really is a mystery that God lives inside of us and that his, his power is seen in us and through us, but not in the way that we would normally associate power from an earthly standpoint. It's a, it's a mystery. And it's not like I can somehow call up some type of conjure up some type of special powers to be able to do certain things or get certain things for myself. It's not the way it works. It's a mystery. And the best way that I can describe it is that we don't wield this power as much as we yield to this power in our life. Like Peter, in several weeks, we're going to look at this example of Peter and, and, uh, and a beggar was healed. You know, he was going into the temple to worship and this, this guy said, hey, help me. And Peter said, uh, silver and gold have I none, but what I have give I unto you. And uh, he said, rise, take up your mat and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And, and in my imagination, Peter is probably as surprised as everybody else. I don't think that Peter walked around thinking he could just zap people at will. Oh, I got, uh, you know. I'm not going to sing the song. I got the power. You know, I'm going to, I know you're thinking in your head right now. I'm going to zap people with this power that I now have and I can wield it. I think, I think Peter just sensed that God was doing something and he told this man what to do and he got up and he started walking. And um, I don't think it was any shock to Peter because he had seen it in the ministry of Jesus and he had taken part of it before when Jesus had sent the apostles out on, on their mission whenever Jesus was still, still there with them. 
but I still can't help but think maybe he was a little bit surprised at what was going on. He, so they take him before the council and they ask him, said, hey, you know, how, how did you do this? And he said, look, you know that guy, Jesus, that y'all crucified and uh, yeah, he rose from the dead and it's through his power. It's not a power that we have on our own. He said, it's through the power of God that he, he did it. We don't ever see any Christian throughout Acts somehow arrogantly or pridefully um, uh, taking credit for something that God does through his own power. We see them sometimes as surprised as anyone and pointing it out and saying, hey, the Lord is doing this. And we see them walking into submission, what was God doing? But it's not like they're walking around as these, as these superhuman people. In fact, quite the opposite. We see these people in Acts in some of the most vulnerable situations that they could find themselves. We find them dragged before governors and authorities and imprisoned. We find them being killed and persecuted. We find them taken before the council and beaten. We find them being scolded and mocked. We, we find them in positions and in situations of weakness. We don't see people of arrogance and pride. We see people of, of humility, people that don't see themselves as worthy, people that don't see themselves as capable. And we see God's power working through them in spite of their human weaknesses. Man, this hit, me like a, this hit me like a ton of bricks this past week. I don't think it's coincidental that I was, I was reading through 2 Corinthians where the Lord says, my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't think there's any coincidence that I was just reading that in my personal quiet time and also scheduled to preach on God's power as stated in Acts, specifically Acts chapter 1. I mean, God, God has, has said about his power, there's, there's something about, and it's just a mystery. There's something about our weakness and God's power that just somehow just, it just works together. How many of you have, how many of you have found yourself in an extremely vulnerable situation where you were without hope? But yet at the same time, you experienced God's power in your life. And as a result, maybe somebody was encouraged by you. How many of you have, have uh, I don't know, maybe you've gone on a mission trip and you've gone, to a, you've gone to a place like South Asia with us where you can't even speak the language and you are totally vulnerable and feel powerless to do anything. But yet somehow God uses you and people get saved. You see, that's, that's what's happening to the people in the book of Acts. They're, they're not living some super Christian life. They're living the same lives that you and I are trying to live. And they're experiencing God's power in the same way that you and I experience God's power. And as a result, God's mission is carried out. God's power is seen best through suffering and submission and humility and sacrifice and repentance. Not the earthly you know, strength and, uh, and, and positions of power, but 
but, but through weakness. God says, my power is made perfect through weakness. And what we do, and this is so important, what we do with God's power is we live on mission. That's what Jesus told the apostles. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's going to be a moment in time when something incredible is going to happen. And we're going to read about it, Acts chapter 2, next week. That's what Jesus is saying. You are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he said, here's what's going to be the result. You are going to be my witnesses. I am going to give you my power so that you can be my witnesses and live on mission for God. Write this down. Mission is the purpose of power. Carrying out God's mission is the purpose for why he endows his church and his people with power. A witness is just someone who sees an event and reports what happened. That's what you do. You say, well, wait a minute, I didn't witness the resurrection of Jesus, but I hope that you've witnessed your own resurrection. After you've called upon Jesus and he made you alive, I hope that God has done some great and amazing and incredible things in your life. You're to be a witness about what God has done in you and what God has done in you is drawn all the way back to what God has said in his word. We give witness, we give testimony about Jesus who he is, what he has done in history 2,000 years ago by dying on a cross and and being raised from the dead, and what he has done in our lives as his death, burial, and resurrection has been made manifest through us. That's what the power is for. And when Jesus is saying this, what he's doing, he's saying this will happen. He's not saying when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you might receive power. He's not saying, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, if you wouldn't mind, if it's convenient, would you possibly maybe consider being my witnesses? He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And he even tells them geographically how it's going to happen, and it looks like a bomb going off. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and then into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Remember that great commission that Jesus gave to go and to make disciples. They couldn't do that unless they had the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for it. God's going to do something special. I just think people miss this about the Holy Spirit. I think that people think that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give me comfort whenever I feel bad, to inform me whenever I don't understand something, to guide me whenever I need to make a decision in my life. And and, and all those things are true. And I hope that the Holy Spirit does those things. I hope that he changes you, transforms you. I hope he guides you, comforts you, leads you. I hope that he speaks to you. I hope that he, he informs you about his word. But why does he do all of that? He does all of that because he wants us to live on mission. 
He wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to expand his church all over the globe. He wants us to engage in mission. He wants us to testify about Christ. That's what Jesus himself said was the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Look, John chapter 15. Look at this verse. John chapter 15, verse 26 through verse 27. But he says that when the helper, sometimes called the comforter, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, look what he's going to do. He will bear witness. Circle that in your Bible. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't want a lot of attention. I mean, read in Scripture. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to jump out and sing and dance and draw attention to himself. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is there to draw people's attention to Jesus, to the gospel. He's there to draw people's attention to Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't exist to do tricks for us for our entertainment. The Holy Spirit is not some... Uh, some, uh, some drug of choice to make us feel em some emotional high, like we feel really good. Oh, I just feel the Holy Spirit. And this, I hope you feel the Holy Spirit. That's the, Holy, the Holy Spirit is for so much more than these things. The Holy Spirit is sent to us to carry out the mission. And the thing about it is that's not what the apostles had in mind. The apostles didn't have God's agenda on, mind, on the, their minds. They had man's agenda on their mind. I don't have time to talk about this a lot, but Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and through verse 7, Jesus had promised them. He said, hey, I'm wait for the promise. You've been waiting for it for a long time. I'm going to give you the promise of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? Y'all, they ask a silly question. They said, um, so... Are you going to help us get the right person elected? So are you going to, you know, help fix the laws of our country? Are you going to, you know, do what we need to do here in our nation? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All they had was their country in mind. They had their minds in the news. They had their minds on their country's politics and its situation. There's a sermon there that I don't have time to preach today. Jesus basically brushes them off. I like the way he didn't correct them. I like the way they didn't say, look, it's not all about you. It's not all about your nation. It's not all about your politics. Not all about that. What you think it is, but it's not. It's about something bigger. It's about the end of time. It's about me coming back and making a new heaven. See, there's all kinds of theology that Jesus could have gone into in that moment. Instead, he just kind of waved him off. He said, look, it's not for you to know these times. By, by the way, that's, that, gives us, that gives us some grace with each other when we talk about end times, right? For those of us who think we have it all figured out and how it's all going to happen, Jesus said, look, it's not for you to know these times or these seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know that. He says, no, i got something better. I've got power for you. I've got a spirit-empowered mission for you to carry out. And there are special times. Listen, I want you to lean in for a minute. There are some special times in your life 
when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and things will be accomplished through you and in you. Special times. And a lot of times we, we refer to those times as being filled with the Spirit. Let me show you some examples from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And something happened. In that moment, something happened in them and empowered them to live on mission in a situational way to where they spoke in languages that they had never learned. I'll clarify this next week, by the way. They were able to speak the gospel in languages they had never learned to people who could understand those languages. I'll talk about that next week. But the Holy Spirit filled them. This was a moment in time. The Holy Spirit filled them and empowered them. Look at this, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter was before the council. They drug him in after he, after he healed someone. And they said, hey, what's this power? By what, by what power, by what name did you do this? And right before Peter, in humility and deference uh, you know, uh, to God, the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not speaking about who he is in his character as an individual. Sometimes when it says that, like, well, uh, uh, like in Acts chapter 6, looking for men that are full of the Holy Spirit, it's speaking about character. This is speaking about something happened in that moment with Peter before he spoke where God was, God was with him in some type of real way, some type of manifested way. And what did he do? He gave a witness. He gave a testimony. And what did he do? He didn't go off on a tirade about God's power and spiritual gifts and all of that type of stuff. He didn't perform another miracle or a sign. He didn't do some kind of song and dance that made everybody feel good. He gave a witness. He drew attention to Jesus. He gave witness to Christ. Here's another one. Oh, I love this one. I cannot wait to preach this one in, in a few weeks. Acts chapter 4. There were some, there were, there were some believers that were praying for Peter. They gave Peter all kinds of threats. They say, you better not do this again. You better not speak about this again. You better not do that. Peter goes back and tells all the believers... And all the believers huddle together, and they say, oh, Lord, protect us. That's not what they said. They didn't get together and say, oh, Lord, protect us. Oh, Lord, use your power to defeat them. Uh, oh, Lord, all that kind. No, they didn't say that. They say, you know what, God? Give us boldness. Boldness to what? Boldness to be a witness. Boldness to continue to carry out the mission of God. And you know what happened after they prayed that prayer? The Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Something happened to them in that moment where God showed up. Here's another one. I can show you a lot of these. Acts chapter 7. Stephen, he was before the council. Given testimony, gave a big long history of the nation of Israel, then preached Jesus. And 
oh, they couldn't stand it. They just, they were just all over him. And right in his dying moments, as he was about to die, the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Something happened in that moment. And the Bible says that his eyes were opened up, that he saw heaven in the glory of God and saw Jesus standing. I thought he was seated at the right hand of the glory of God. He was standing at the right hand of God. What did he do? He gave witness. He bore testimony. He drew everybody's attention to Jesus. He said, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing. And what happened next is one of the saddest things that we read in all of Scripture. They killed him. They killed such a gentle man, full of the Holy Spirit. And as they were killing him, he prayed, God, don't hold this against them. God, please forgive them. Could you do that? I couldn't unless I was full of the Holy Spirit, unless I had a power that somehow came from someplace other than my flesh. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do any of this stuff. I'll, I'll give you two more examples that are outside the book of Acts. Remember Elizabeth? Elizabeth and Mary visited each other. The baby left and what happened? Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In that moment, something happened in her. What did she do? She began to bear witness of God's goodness. Zechariah, the same way, Luke chapter 1, verse 67, the same thing. His father, Zechariah, filled with the Spirit. What did he do? Something happened in that moment. He began to prophesy. Listen, I could show you examples from the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon people and powerful things would happen in and around them. And they did not conjure them up because they were some special people with special gifts. They didn't somehow conjure them up so that they could put themselves on display. God did something in and around and through these people. And listen, this is my point. You and I are called to be spirit-filled and to be empowered for mission so that we can be witnesses of Jesus. Your testimony is a good starting point where you can just tell people, just witness. Maybe the Lord's calling you to volunteer for something. Some of you might say, you know what? I'm just not so sure I felt the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in a long time. You mean, let me, let me, I hope that you see the way that you can walk in the power and experience the presence of God is to start living on mission. Ask Jesus, what, does, what, can, what can you give up for him and what can you start doing in his name? Maybe he's called you to go on a mission trip. Maybe he's called you to go, uh, to go speak the gospel to your neighbor that lives across the street from you. Maybe he's called you to sign up for a ministry. Something that the Lord is calling you to do. You begin to live on mission for God and you will experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where am I? How, how many of you have been to South Asia? Raise your hand. You've been to South Asia. Oh, come on. I know that more of y'all have been to South Asia than that to our, on our, our trips. Man, do you feel, encounter, and sense the presence and the power of God as you go to South Asia? Where are my Romania people? You ever been, ever been to Romania? I've been going to Romania for a long time. About Rwanda. Our Rwanda folks. All right. Woo -woo. All right. Got a shout out. Yeah. Holla. 
There's something, I'm just telling you right now, there's something about doing God's work. There's something about going on mission for him. Talk to Paul about Salt Lake. He'll tell you. He'll tell you all about, man, just how God, how God works. You know, go see Alex Dixon in Pittsburgh. Go to, go, to some of these, go to some of these places where we do missions. By the way, just as a sidebar, shameless plug, uh, this mission, uh, mission connection that Rick told you about is a good place to go and to learn about some of these things. It's in, it's in your bulletin. But, you know, maybe you, don't, maybe you don't need to get on an airplane. Maybe you, just, maybe you just need to walk back to that nursery back there and start holding some babies and loving on kids and encouraging a mom who might be struggling in her marriage or a young dad who's struggling to know how to, how to be a father. Maybe the Lord will lead you to, you know, to go down to our youth area or our kids area or to be a greeter or be on our security team. Or maybe the Lord would say, you know what? Hey, that good news club that you have going on over there at All Good Elementary where you're sharing the gospel, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Hey, that jail ministry that I heard y'all talk about the other day, I'd like to be involved in that. Oh, the care center, man, I've heard about all the things, man. That, is God at work at the care center? He's at work at the care center, isn't he? Tuesday, Friday, see there, sharing the gospel. That's just right across our parking lot. We have all types of opportunity. You want to encounter and experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Live on mission. And I promise you, because Jesus promises you that he'll be there with you. Do you know that Jesus has never, he's never, every time he commanded his disciples to go, he always promised his presence. Go make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Lo, I'm with you always. He promises to be with you. The whole point of the Spirit's work in your life, guiding, changing you, all of that is so that you can live on mission. When was the last time, let me ask you this, when was the last time you were filled with the Spirit? You just knew that God was with you. He was just there with you in power. When was the last time that a situation like we have read up here in Scripture, biblically, that that happened in your life. I remember the very first time, I remember the very first time that I was filled with the Spirit and baptized with the Spirit. 33 years ago, last week, 33 years ago, I was born again in a jail cell in Ridgeland, Mississippi. I called on Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God fell upon me and in that moment changed me. And almost immediately, I began to feel a call to ministry, to do something for God. It's what the Spirit of God does. Some of you here today, you might say, I have never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of me. Listen, the way that you know that you're saved is because the Bible says that His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. You ought to know at least something about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian and if you're truly born again. You should at least sense and know that the presence of God lives inside of you and there is a power at work inside of you uh, to, to will and to act according to his good purpose. You, you should, you, you should even in some small measure, even if you don't understand everything, 
about the Holy Spirit. You're like, man, I just, I just don't know about some of this. You should at least know a little bit because the Spirit of God says, hey, you belong to me. And that gives you assurance. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the seal, the stamp that God places upon that says, hey, you're marked as mine. And you're his friend. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the promise for what lies ahead. That's, if that's not true about your life, the first thing that you have to do is call on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, what happens is, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. The Holy Spirit draws us. We might not even know what's happening. We might feel this weight of guilt that is upon us. We might, I don't know, like a, like a reformer long ago, find our hearts strangely warm. There, there, there might just be something that's going on inside of you and you're like, I don't understand it, I don't explain it, but I know that God is drawing me and is, is speaking to me. That's the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be something that you feel. It's, it's, it's not always an emotion. It's matter, most of the time it's not an emotion. We're not definitely not talking about emotionalism. But the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ. It's almost like your mind is just pulled more firmly to the things of God. And it captures your heart. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And if you've never been saved, what the Holy Spirit is doing, He's not trying to get you to think about and focus on Him. He's trying to get you to think about the cross. He's trying to get you to think about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you so that you will call upon Jesus and be saved. If that characterizes you today, in just a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and I'm going to ask you to pray and call on Jesus. And for the, for the rest of us, I don't know what you need to talk to God about, but perhaps you need to say, Lord, I want to feel your spirit your, and your power. I want to sense your presence in me and around me more. And I know, Lord, after listening to that sermon, that that means mission. God, what can I do? Who can I tell about you? How can I be a witness? How can I serve my church? How can I, how can I do something in my community? How can I get on an airplane and go somewhere globally? What is it, God, that you want me to do? Would you, would you write a blank check in prayer to God today? And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about a blank check. Lord, my, there's nothing in my life that's off limits. I'll do anything that you want me to do. Let's stand together.